few announcements to start with. Tomorrow is our Christmas party. And it begins at what, 6.30? Is that it? And there's going to be a lot of goodies here. And we're going to... And we're going to have fun. So you might keep that in mind. You bring anybody you want to. Plus, uh, <coughs> you know that Sunday falls on Sunday. <laughs> Christmas. Sunday falls on a Sunday. <laughs> Christmas falls on Sunday this year. And we are going to have a, Christi- a Christmas service. So, uh, and by the way, it's going to be... I think pretty good because I'm going to teach things that I've never taught before. And so I, they're probably things that you have never heard before. Uh, quite a bit of it. So anyway, Sunday morning, yeah, regular time. Uh, let's see if there's anything else. I, I was, the last three days I was in uh, Dallas at a conference, pre-trib conference. And I'll give you a full report on that Sunday morning. So that ought to be interesting. Can y'all think of anything else that we need to... New Year's Eve day is on a Sunday. No, it's on a Saturday, isn't it? New Year's Eve. I don't know what... New Year's Day. Yeah, you, you're, we're going to have service New Year's Day also. And if you have a hangover, it's just your own fault and you better show up anyway. Wear dark glasses so we don't have to look at your eyes. I forgot this is all on the Internet. Okay. Kent, you know what to do with that. (laughs) Okay, I knew we were going to have fun tonight. You know, uh, I left the pen drive at home that has all my notes on it. That happens every once in a while. Not very often. But it's got to be up here anyway, doesn't it? I can't very well tell y'all you don't you need it up here if I don't have it up there. So we'll see where this goes. Let's prepare ourselves in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer, the option to uh, confess any unconfessed sins which ensures the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness, who and what you are, that you do not sleep, you are ever-present, you're full of grace and mercy, you love us with a love beyond measure, you've given us your mighty word, the ability to understand it, and now we are going to feed upon it this evening. We're in a portion of scripture that many are confused about, and yet we know that there is a true meaning and when you understand that meaning, when we understand it, then it can have a great power in our lives. So we pray that you will open our hearts to the message, help us to focus and concentrate. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> We're in James chapter 2, which most of you are familiar with uh, <clears throat> being very controversial Maybe 
the most controversial chapter in the Bible. But it doesn't need to be. I've given you keys to understand it that are necessary to understand it. But I thought this evening what we ought to do is start with James chapter 1. I'm going to read James chapter 1, and you can read it with me, all the way through chapter 2 up to where we are at the present time, which is around verses 18, 19, 20, right in that area. I'm not going to speed read it. I want you... One reason <coughs> that I'm going to do this is because one thing that I learned at this conference, I already knew it, but like so many times we know something and then when we hear it presented, it refreshes us, refreshes our memory. It's again on our radar screen and I have a, a, a new, renewed sense of appreciation as to how important context is. Probably the great majority of doctrines that have been misunderstood, misapplied, is because people just take it and they'll take a verse out of context. If you just keep it in context, you're going to uh, be a lot more apt to be on target. So let's start with James chapter 1. Oh, I remember what I was going to tell you. What we're looking for here, what I want you to have your antenna out for, is for anything that you see that might be salvific. Anything that you can see would apply to eternal salvation. That's what you need to be alert to. Because it's my contention that James hardly even touches that subject whatsoever. Just a little bitty bit here and there. But let's look. Maybe you can see something that I have missed with regards to something being salvific. Why is that important? It's important because if James isn't talking about saving people, if he is talking to believers, encouraging them, exhorting them, warning them with regards to their spiritual life after they are saved, then that has a lot to say are a lot to do with understanding properly James chapter 2. So that's what we'll keep our eye out for as we read. James chapter 2, verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. This is the salutation. I'm going to, I'm going to try to use the utmost self-discipline not to expand on these verses as I go. And I'm already tempted to do it on verse 1. So I'll not explain about the 12 uh, tribes uh, who are dispersed. <laughs> we'll never get to chapter 2. <laughs> We're going to see that this is believers. I can't help. I've got to ask one question about verse 1. Do you think that this is referring to the... Jews that were dispersed in 70 A.D., you know, all over, all over the place, all over the creation. Oh, y'all are hard to fool. Of course not. This is written in around 4550 A.D., and the dispersion took place in 70 A.D. So this would be, uh, where were they dispersed? They were, I mean, they're living all over. Oh, I, I'm sorry, I said I wasn't going to do that. Okay, here we go. Verse 2. 
Consider it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials. Does that make you pause? Do you think that that's impossible to do? It is impossible under your own power. And what we would say under the power of the flesh, you cannot do that. Oh, you can fake it. I mean, you can go to someone and say, I'm so glad it's 20 degrees outside and I've got a dead battery, car won't start, and my phone is dead too. Oh, thank you, Lord. I mean, come on. This is much deeper than that. But anyway, that is altogether possible if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you're thinking divine viewpoint, because you recognize there's a reason that this happened. And then it gets exciting. You're sitting there, you're cold, you're waiting for someone to come by, and you're thinking, hmm, maybe whoever it is that comes by needs to hear the gospel. Maybe there's some way I can help this person. Maybe, see how you can, the Christian life is very exciting when you think this way. Problem is, most people don't ever think that way. They're too busy complaining and grumbling and kicking dents in the side of the car because this won't start. I'm describing myself, by the way. But I know I'm describing you as well, aren't I? Sometimes. Well, I've got to just keep moving. This, this isn't going to work. Uh, Consider all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Listen to those words. Testing and endurance. Does eternal salvation have anything to do with testing and endurance? Verse 4. And let endurance have its perfect result that you may become perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, the perfect is not the best translation there. It means to become mature. Uh, to be complete means is that you're fur thoroughly furnished with regards to Bible doctrine is the way that we would, we would uh, explain it. That it doesn't matter what the circumstances may be, you have the appropriate doctrine within your soul to apply and that you can even articulate to others to help them as well. That is someone that is complete. That is someone who is uh, perfect. I didn't look at this. Uh, where's Vadia? Do you have your Libronics on? Is that Teleos? Uh, uh, perfect. I'm sure it's, it's a derivative of that. You know, when Christ said Tetelestai, it comes from that word group, which means it's finished, it's completed. You see, words have certain go-to meanings for most people. And when you say perfect, what do we think? We think, yeah, without a flaw, absolutely uh, sinless, no imperfections or anything. That's not what it means. Verse 5, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. You, know, you ought to put a circle around that verse. What a wonderful verse that is. Wisdom is not talking about asking for intelligence. Intelligence is way, way below wisdom. You can, <coughs> you can have intelligence and be a dummy, but you can't have wisdom and be a dummy. Wisdom essentially is the truth of God's Word. When you go into Proverbs chapter 3, 4, and 5, all that, wisdom is personified. Wisdom, if you, if you just take that word wisdom and you 
substitute the word doctrine instead of wisdom and it will make just as much sense. It's, a high, it's on a completely higher plane. Is there ever any time that you need wisdom? Yeah, I'm the same way. And for you teenagers, I'm not just talking about when you're taking a test. I'm talking about wisdom to handle the exigencies of life, whatever may come your way, to handle it in a fashion that is going to give you more options. It's going to be pleasing to God. And we can do it at any time. And it says, He gives it to us generally, generously without reproach. Verse 6. But let, let him ask in faith without doubting, for one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So this is talking about knowing doctrine, applying it. It's talking about going through life confused, muddled, not really knowing what's going on. That's kind of like in a wave. If you're in a wave, there's no direction. You're just kind of tossed here and there. That's the way a lot of people live their lives. There's no stability. There's no security. And if you have that, it calls you a double-minded man. Verse 9, But let the brother of humble circumstances glory in his high position. Now he's going to make a contrast here with verse 10, somebody who is rich. So, even though most of us, probably all of us, relatively speaking, are poor. There are some people that don't even think you reach the rich category until you've made you, you know, at least ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars. Uh, excuse me, million dollars. <laughs> you know, just I'm saying. I read something on on the internet today on the news. You know, they a baseball player just signed a ten-year contract for two hundred and fifty million dollars. Folks, something's out of kilter. Something is not right. When someone, I was thinking, I don't know how many seconds there are in 10 years, or no, let me put it this way, when he's out there playing, you know, however long the ball game lasts, I don't know if you did the math and figured out every second, he's probably making $100 every second, or maybe even more than that, I don't know. Anyhow, uh, it's not about money because... Even uh, the brother of humble sex should glory in our high position. Now, let me ask you something and see. Make my day and answer this right. I'll tell you what. It, it, you can answer this in two words. What is our high position? Don't say it. Just think it because I'm going to tell you. It's two words. Even though you may be poor monetarily, we have an exceedingly high pos position. Now, if you know it, say it. We are all... All right. You got it. When we're in Christ, that is a very exalted position. Then he contrasts it in verse 10. And let the rich man glory in his humiliation, because like the flowering grass, he will pass away. This is just saying that a person who is wealthy, that he should... Uh, well, the word glory here is in italics. It's not really there. But he, when he is in a humbling situation, this is really good for him. Because for really wealthy people, it's hard for them to be humble. And when you, got, when you can have anything you want, 
to, at least relatively speaking, that money can buy, it makes you think, what do you need God for? You already have everything. And when a rich person is humble, that is an exalted position because it reminds him, it actually gets him in contact with reality. And then he's going to expand on this a little bit, verse 11. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass and its flowers fall off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. It's just, it's just saying, hey, we all need a dose of reality every once in a while to help us remember what is really important and this goes double for someone who is rich. Because we're only here a short time. Verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. You hear this again? You hear uh, persevering in trials. You hear this ongoing thing so far? Crown of life, what is that? It's a reward. So, so far we've heard about persevering in trials and gaining wisdom. And now we're talking about a decoration. Those that... Did you notice when you look at this... It's those that are under trial, who perseveres under trial. It's those who, are, who have been approved. What is it talking about? You see the, the trial and then approved linked to that? Just because you go through a trial doesn't mean that you're qualified to get the crown of life. It's those who are approved. And who are those who are approved? Those who have learned the doctrine and apply those doctrines to their circumstances those are the ones that are approved who persevere through a trial. And for those, he will receive, that person is going to receive the crown of life. Now, that in itself is enough. But you think, well, I understand that. But look, something's added. It said, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, now we have two conditions, do we not? You have to be able to persevere under a trial and be approved. You went through the trial. You are approved because you didn't bellyache and complain. You applied the doctrine. You depended on the Lord. Your faith rested. You claimed the promises. You applied the doctrine. But now it says also in the end of this verse, which the Lord has promised to those who love Him. What I'm trying to help you see is loving the Lord and being able to go and persevere through these trials and being approved are one and the same. It's impossible for a person who is positive and they're gaining in their knowledge of God's Word, they're, they're consistently learning doctrine, there's going to be an automatic byproduct of that, and that is the love for God. The more you know God, the more you love God. And I just thought that was neat the way they're connected in this verse. You want the crown of life? Well, you have to be able to Persevere under trial and be approved. By the way, who, who is the one that approves us when we're under trial? Who is the one that's going to say, you know, you made it. I'm so proud of you because you, you applied the doctrine. 
You were able to be an example for others. You glorified me. Of course, I give it away. Who, who is that? That's the Lord Himself is the one that approves us. It's, and some of us really need to hear this because it's not any of our business to go around and put someone on trial and, depend, and determine whether they are approved or not when they're under that trial. In other words, that means mind your own business, doesn't it? It's the Lord that's going to do the approving. Yes, Michael. Well, it's, it's interesting. I'm glad you brought that up. We'll get to James too, but <laughs> it wasn't a question. He said that it's the love that motivates the persevering and, and, and being able to endure and so forth, see? And that's true, but I think it doesn't necessarily start that way. I think, I have people ask me this before. A reward is brought up in this verse. And have those ask me, well, is it, is it kosher? Is it, um, is it okay for believers to have a motivation to do good and to please God just so they, they can get rewards? And the answer is absolutely. That's why, they're, that's why they're given to us. That's why God has revealed them to us. You know, Paul talks about running the race, reaching for the prize, all that. That's what he's talking about. But a funny thing happened on the way to the fair, and this is what happens, is you can have this motivation, hey, I want those rewards. And the more you find out what they are and the scope of them, phenomenal. Our my brains can't even hardly comprehend what goes along with the crown of life around, along with the other crowns. And they last for all eternity. But what, what happens is, somewhere along the line, as you are reaching for the prize, the prize does not seem as important as just pleasing the Lord. And that's where a little switch goes over. It comes with maturity. There's a time in a mature believer's life, and you don't, may not reflect on it, know exactly where it is, but at some point in your life, you know that you had that motivation of, of reaching that crown. Listen, I'm very competitive. You could get out some tiddlywinks right now and draw a circle, and I'm in. I mean, I'm in it. Whether there's money or anything, I just want to win. I want, whatever it is, I want part of it. And so you can imagine what this means to me about these, these wonderful prizes. And that's legitimate. But somewhere along the way, the Lord blesses you and you see His faithfulness so much that you just get to where you don't want to disappoint Him. You want to please Him. And by the way, you know what, parents? I think this is at one point when you know that you're on the right track and that you've done your job when you see your children refraining from doing something that would displease you. And it's not because they're afraid of the paddle or divine, uh, uh, the discipline. They're doing it because the worst thing that can happen in their life is for them to displease you. Isn't it the same way in the spiritual realm? I mean, it gets to that point that it's not so much that we're afraid of the divine discipline, but the thing that we hate most is to, is to in some way, have disapproval from our wonderful, gracious, mighty, loving Lord. I know that way with, with my daughter. There, you know, 
It's just wonderful when your children get to that point. And that's where God wants us to get to. To where we're not just doing it because uh, uh, children isn't... You say, uh, <clears throat> go clean your room and do this, that, and the other thing, and it's all done. And you say, well, you, I'll take you to the ice cream store. That dates me. They used to have the ice cream store. You had to actually go to a store to get ice cream. I'm thinking back when I was a boy because they would say that to me, you know. I would be fidgeting around and not wanting to do all the everything, but they said, uh, when you get your work done, we'll go to the ice cream store. Oh, man, I'm on the beam, you know. Then later, as I grew up, I started understanding more things as a teenager, and I saw my parents taking pride in things that I would do that were honoring to them. And that spurred me on. I wanted to do more of those type of things. And when they would come to me and say, I'm disappointed in you. My countenance would fall. I mean, that was that was way more devastating than, than getting angry with me or anything else. I'd much rather them say, now I told you to do this, and da, da, da. I can take that. But if they came up and very quietly just looked me in the eyes and said, I'm disappointed. Well, I was undone. And that's, Michael, with what you, all this came up by what you said about the love. Love does become a motivating factor. But I don't think it happens right at the get-go. But the more you learn doctrine, the more you apply it, the more you see God's faithfulness, it certainly is. Now, I'm doing exactly what I said I wasn't going to do, aren't I? Well, that's all right. You can, you can pick any place in the Bible and start focusing on it, and we're going to be blessed. Verse 13. Now, in my Bible, how many of you have a heading a break between verse 12 and 13 with a heading there. Okay? Um, Y'all know what those are called? Pericopes. Do one of you girls want to spell it? No, it's not P-E-A-R. You want to take a shot? P-E-R-I-C-O-P- I. Uh, B, I mean E. It's P E R R I C O P Y. P E R. No, just one R. Yes, yeah, pericope. Yeah. I don't know. I know. It's, I, I got a. I don't know. It's a P I or P Y on the end. It's a P. It's it's it separates something. It gives a heading. Mm-hmm. Okay, verse 13. Let's forget, forget about pericopes for now. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Now, there's a difference between being tested and being tempted. Tempt, do you all know where your temptation comes from? Yeah, the OSN. Old sin nature, the old man, the flesh. So when we're tempted, we're not to say it's from God because He doesn't tempt anyone. But each one of you is tempted when He is carried away and enticed by His own lust. And the lust comes as part of the old sin nature. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. 
you could spend a long time on this verse because there's seven types of death, and I'd like to uh, show you what kinds of death that may be and so forth, but we'll move on. Verse 16, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Who is he talking to? Believers. Verse 17, I love this verse. I have it, I have it underlined, I have it in yellow, and I have a circle around the verse. Every good thing and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Every, in other words, every good thing. Every good thing that comes into your life comes from above. Do you give Him thanks for every little good thing? You know, I'm thinking when I went on this trip, so many times, little things. You remember the song, Little Things Mean a Lot? Isn't it that way in life also? Um, I would be in traffic, stopped at a, at, at a stop sign, and I would hesitate. I'd get some something out of the, the console there or something, and then I'd start out, and a car just went by, and I didn't see it. And I said, thank you, Lord. I mean... I could have very easily been distracted one more second and put on the gas and, you know, no telling what could have happened. Doesn't things like that happen to you all all the time? I mean, even, it seems, you, you, have you all heard of uh, Murphy's Law? <laughs> you all f very familiar with that, right? Well, this is the other side of the coin to that. Because, now this may sound silly, but I don't think it is. I think that we are to recognize that every good thing comes from above. When you have just made a jelly sandwich, I like peanut butter and jelly. I like, I like uh, crunchy peanut butter. It doesn't matter about the jelly. You just got to have jelly to help the peanut butter. And when, it, when it falls on the floor and it lands face up, thank you, Lord. <laughs> I, I figured y'all were going to laugh, but it's not. I'm, I'm serious. I'm I think even, is that a good thing? Does this not say every good thing? Now, I know that doesn't communicate to y'all because y'all are sophisticated. You would never eat that. <laughs> if it fell in the, if I made it, it's going to be consumed. My point is, be on the and lay this around. Boy, I should work with Man, I was lucky on name on you. Say that. That's what I did. No worry. That important here in chapter one, because when he gets to chapter two, we're going to show him on the back. Verse. But he brought forth by word of truth, so might be, as it were, the first fruits among his creatures. Have you been doing what I said to do when we started reading this? What did I tell you? Looking for something salvific. Did alarm go off here? Look at it. What's it talking about? In the exercise, he brought us forth the word of truth, which would be the gospel, so that we might be, as it were, first of all, it's talking about Jesus Christ as what? The end of salvation, there, isn't it? <laughs> so that we might be, as it were, the first fruits of his creatures. I haven't asked you this, but I would say at least something that's salvific. Just of God will in fact come out. 18. This you know, 
my brethren. Now, did you know that here? He said, you already know that. You get intense about eternal salvation. Does outrageous? Well, you already know that. What do you think that if James 2 believes about eternal life being set to go to heaven? you think this? He's just saying, how would he go to church? They already know. But let everyone quote All of us have I hope you're quoting. Just because you're here. How many times in your life have you wished were a little bit slower to speak? Hmm? To answer. Receive the righteousness of God. And that's just simply receive the eternal life through faith in Christ. Verse 21. Do you know that is received? Did you try at the club? you who was I was? Who was doing the I was I was deluding my and I can when I started and we're not talking about going out there and hustling for God. We're talking about being motivated. If it's only for the rewards, that's fine. But eventually you'll be motivated by the love, which is even better. Verse 24, For once he had looked... No, I didn't do 23, did I? Okay, verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror... For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. And I don't know about most of the other men, but I can say amen to that. It's certainly this does not count for a woman. Women don't go before a mirror and say, okay, I'm fine, move on. I look in the mirror and it's kind of like, I'm looking for things that might distract people. If I have anything hanging out of my nose, do I have any lump of hair sticking way out like this? You know, did I make sure that I got all the food off? And that t That's what I'm doing. And I'm looking. Yeah, that's me. I'm, I'm good to go. And I'm out of here. That's what this is talking about. That's what a hearer of the Word is like. They come in and they hear it. Oh, yeah, well, I'm good to go. And then what happens as soon as they're gone? Forget it. Why am I taking so long in getting the gospel right? Why do I take so... Some of, I've had people leave this church, and I heard through the grapevine the reason that they left was I go too slow. They want to get on with it. If you do that, look what you're going to miss. I mean, I'm said I'm, I, I was going to ch teach James 2, and I was going to read verse 1 to show you how it sets it up. I might not even get to chapter 2 tonight. But look what we've got. That's what the Word of God is like. So you, you, you go away, you forget it. Remember, I think it was just recently I said, you know, understanding something, when I teach something, a particular doctrine, and you understand it, and you think, I've got it, I'm ready to move on. And I say, no, not so fast. You know, when you know that you have something is when you try to teach it to someone else. That's when you know if you really have it or not. And you can't be a hearer of the Word and teach something, can you? I mean, we're spending some 
time in James chapter 2. But it's required. I don't want you only to agree with me. Yes, that makes sense. Let's move on. No, I want you to be able to go to a Jehovah Witness and he says, let's go to James 2 and you say, all right, let's go. Come on. Where do you want to start? Because you have metabolized it. Now you're ready to teach it in your own words. The Holy Spirit can speak through you like He cannot speak through me. He uses your experiences. He uses the words that communicate to you. And when that happens, it's a, it's a mighty thing. That's when you know that you have it. And you don't go that by showing up, I heard the message. Most people hear a message and they leave. And while they're sitting there to eat somewhere after church, someone could say, well, what was the lesson about? And many people would have a hard time even remembering what it was about, much less being able to articulate what was taught in detail. Well, you know, in a lot of, there's nothing taught in there's nothing when there's nothing taught you can't hardly articulate it can you I love to sit around at restaurants after church and hear people talk I mean I'm not busybody but I can't help but hear certain things do you know what most people talk about after church if they talk about church at all with regards to the message they am I not right don't they talk about how they felt about it were they really moved by it how many people do you hear talking about something they learned? Verse 25. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, by the word, that, that word, underlying that word, looks intently, that's one, actually it's uh, one word, it's a compound word, it's parakupto. P-A-R-A-K-U-P-T-O. That's a compound word. It's made out of two words. Para means uh, beside. And kupto means to move forward. Yeah. Uh, excuse me. Bend forward. Bend over. Bend forward like this. Para, beside. Kupto means to bend forward. I, just, I was thinking of an illustration one just popped in my head. When I was at the conference, uh, I guess it was yesterday, a pastor and I, Jeremy Thomas from uh, Fredericksburg, were talking about a certain doctrine. And some guy that we didn't even know was overhearing us. And the more we talked, the closer he got. That's the para. And you know, before we were finished, he was going like this. Para Kupto. He was so interested in what we were... And we never introduced ourselves because when you get two pastors together and they're talking about a doctor, and they say, we're in it, see? And before it was done, well, finally they called. This is on a break. And they said, okay, break's over. And we had to go away. Perfect example. He was sitting there and he was within earshot. He was sitting down to begin with. And the next thing you know, out of the corner of my eye, I see he was standing up. And the next thing I know, he was floating. The next time I knew, he was right there with us. And before it was over, he was bent forward. That's paracupto. And that's what this word is describing here when it says, um, this is verse 25. But one who looks intently at the perfect law. This is talking about the Word of God, the law of liberty, and abides by it not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed by what he does. 
You see, hearers and doers. One who bends over and intently gets it. Verse 26. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Okay, let's take our shoes off now. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Is James correct? You know, we have to... I was talking to a pastor about this. I don't know what day it was during a conference. We were talking about different personalities. I'm one of those A personalities. And we have to be on guard because when there's a when we're talking to someone that has a, a different take on a doctrine than we have, you know, we look at it as a competition. And, you know, oh, yeah, and we, you know, we, we just want to butt heads. And the Bible says we are to contend for the Word. That's legitimate. But it's, it's, not a, it's not a competition. Come, let us reason together. We should be open and talk about the Word. But you know what it says at the end? We are to do it in love. And that can be hard sometimes for us. Because have you ever got so involved in a doctrine you felt strongly about it and you get, next thing you know, the, <clears throat> the blood is pumping and the volume is raising and you got, get into it and, and you, you have to remember, okay, you may be offended by a take that someone has, but they're not the enemy. They have been deceived and you need in a loving way help Steer them to the truth if that's possible to persuade them through your knowledge of God's Word. So, it says if you can't bridle your tongue, then the man's religion is worthless. Have you ever had your wife or or your husband on the phone and they're talking to someone? What do you mean you didn't send it? What do you mean you didn't do that? They start a rant and you just gently say, I don't remember you're a Christian in your testimony. Any guys ever heard something like that? Huh? And he said, "Oh yeah." Well, it can ru- your tongue can ruin your testimony. We need to remember that when we, it's Christmas season. Uh, uh, talking Garth about going to a mall. Were you in a mall? Okay, I can't imagine Garth in a mall, but if he says it, I believe it. Um, <laughs> go to a mall and remember if you can't control your tongue your religion is worthless it's not an easy thing to do just put me in a department store and I instantly go into a coma mode I, don't, I think it's the lights I can go outside go all kind of energy I get in a mall and I just where's the chairs where, where can I sit go, go ahead and shop I'll we're not going to get to do uh, Let's see. Where are we? Um, yeah. Verse 27. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Now, I know this says undefiled religion, and we all know that we don't claim that we're religious and we don't claim that Christianity is a religion and all that is true. But this is, we're not going to equivocate about this word. What this saying is, if you're going to be pure in what you believe, if you're going to actually live by the title that you 
declare that you are a Christian, then it needs to be pure and not only in word but in deed. Visiting. Do you see this? Visiting. Do you see how this whole thing sets James up for believers who were not doers of the word? They were only hearers of the word. They were not they could care less about the orphans and people who needed help. And, and now this, all that sets up James 2. Do you see that? That's why I took the time to go through chapter 1. How anybody could go through that and go to chapter 2, and we didn't even get to the verses leading up to verse 14, but how anyone can do that and say, oh, no, all verses uh, 14 through... Um, 24, 25 are all about eternal salvation. In the middle of all that, and he's go- when you get to chapter two, he's going to start uh, <clears throat> starting verse four. He's condemning them for not being doers of the word. Anybody that goes to verse chapter one can understand that's what he's doing. Whenever you have someone coming to you who is naked and hungry and you have the means to help them, and you very sanctimoniously, hypocritically say, well, go and be clothed and be fed, and you don't do anything, you are a hearer of the Word and not a doer. And what James is making the case in chapter 2, you may think you can get by with that. He is warning them, and I am warning you for you to warn others that these lazy, do-nothing, arrogant, hypocritical believers are in great danger. And many of them don't even know it. That's why James is talking about this. They're in danger, not of course of going to hell. That doesn't have anything to do with it. They're in danger of God's wrath falling upon them because they are arrogantly ignoring Him and His Word. That's what this is about, and that's why it's so important. And for someone to come along and put a salvific spin on this and say, oh, if you don't have works and you're not really saved, is absolutely ludicrous. Yes, Michael. Exactly. Perfect setup. For perfect setup for chapter two. That's what, that's what he's going to. He's going to even expand on that more. See, they. They were the type of people that was, well, we go to church. We read our Bibles. Well, have you learned the memory verses on the front of the bulletin? Oh, well, uh, you can be a reader and not a doer also. You can read the memory verses on front of the bulletin, and that does not count. You need to know them. Listen, you have a weapon. It's like having a, a mighty handgun that can blow the enemy away with no problem. What good is that if you don't have the bullets? And the bullets are these verses that I'm having us memorize. I told you, Sonny, I'm so proud. Some of them are actually doing it. They're, they're taping them. They're cutting them off the face of the bulletin, and they have them taped right here on the front of their Bible so that they can go through it. And, and another one has takes them all out and they put them in a coffee can and they go out during the day and every once in a while they'll reach in there and get a verse 
And on the front of it is the address, and on the back is the verse. And they see the address, they're supposed to be able to, to say it. Now, I am saying to you, if you don't do that, at least things like that, then that is seems like a parallel of a hearer of the Word and not a doer, or a reader of the Scripture and not memorizing it. Now that I made everybody mad. No, I know better than that. Okay, I'm past time. Sorry, I'm one minute over already. We did get to chapter 2. <laughs> but what a setup. Isn't that a setup? Huh? Doesn't that help you understand chapter 2, put it more in light? And what people, remember what I said, the importance of context? Someone will come along in James chapter 2, verse 14 and say, Yes, but faith without works is dead. Oh, really? Hmm. Can you elaborate on that? Can you tell me the context of James, what James is talking about? Ever heard of a hearer of a word, not a doer? Well, I've got to stop. Remember, tomorrow night is... Christmas party and uh, Christmas Sunday we'll have church and it'll be something new. Let's close. Father, thank you for your mighty word. We are so thankful that you know what we need to hear, what we need in order to be good and faithful servants. We want to do more than understand it. We want to incorporate in incorporate it into our soul to the degree that at any time, to anyone, we are able to give your mighty truth and that the Holy Spirit will be able to use us to bring more of those who are lost into your fold. It's because of who and what you are and your power. And we thank you for this and we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.